This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. Maybe we should start the episode. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm Matthew. <laughs> so now I have to stop and, I'm and remind myself which which one I am. <laughs> I'm Molly. Oh, you're, you're Squeako. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we uh, pico something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Today we're talking about pico de gallo, mm-hmm. which and I'm eating right now. I'm so yes, sorry. Yes, I made some. I brought it to the park. We're having a little pico picnic in the park. And uh, why don't we go down memory lane? Let's go down memory lane. I'm going to start it off because my memory lane is really short. It's like a it's like a very shallow cul-de-sac. Okay. This is, there's going to be a lot of chip crunching during this episode. Um, so I think that I didn't really understand what Pico de Gallo was as like its own thing uh, until recently, until I learned of your love for Pico de Gallo. I think that for me growing up, I just thought of Pico de Gallo as like the chunky salsa. Mm-hmm. That would come with chips sometimes in a Tex-Mex restaurant. Yeah. And then and then as I got a little bit older and, you know, I should have known better by this point, but I didn't. I thought of it as the chunky salsa, like, you know, at a, a Mexican restaurant where you get to, like, go up to, like, the salsa bar and choose your own salsas. I still thought of it just as the chunky one. Well, I think, like, when salsa started to become a popular condiment throughout the U.S. in the early 80s, that pico de gallo and like the cooked salsa that that sort of starts as pico de gallo and then ends up mm-hmm. kind of mushier in a jar mm-hmm. like was synonymous with salsa. Mhm. Yes. Um cuz I Okay, remember, I like, feel better about myself now. No, I think you're I think you're good. Um like my my memory like and I again I didn't realize this was pico de gallo at the time was when I was growing up my dad loved salsa and introduced me to salsa and his favorite was Dean's brand salsa which I don't think exists anymore but used to buy it at uh, you know Nature's or something in Portland and uh it was it was uh you know it's in a plastic tub in the refrigerator case, and it was a pico de gallo. And it, uh, he would get the the hot, and uh, it was kind of how mm. I first learned to, to like spicy food, I think. Mm, really? Wow. Yeah. So then fast forward to 2020, maybe you remember it. Last year we were we were getting a CSA box and we got some fresh tomatoes in the CSA box and I'm like I don't I'm not really like just kind of a slice and eat tomatoes kind of person. What am I going to do with these? But I don't want to cook them I don't either. Even understand how we're friends. 
I, I know you're you're a you're a slice and eat I'm tomato. Per- you're wearing a, sli- a t-shirt right now that says no. slice and eat tomato person. <laughs> no, I'm not, but I'm pretty sure that if you were to open up my intestines right now, you would find <laughs> oh that there were still slice and eat tomatoes in there from my dinner. Well, actually, maybe not. Okay, I know. I guess but we have, a we have couple to do nights, it. A couple nights ago, I no, had if, slice and eat tomatoes. If you had a couple them. nights ago and they're still in slices <laughs> in your intestines, like something's gone something's wrong. Gone wrong. <laughs> um, speaking speaking of which, public service announcement: I got my first ever colonoscopy last week. Did they find any slice and eat <laughs> yeah, tomatoes they, they in said, there? They said within the in the post visit summary, they said like uh, you really you had a lot of tomatoes, huh? No, uh, they no that would be false. <laughs> Um, and uh, and like the thing, like it's it's uh, it's not gr- a great experience, but everything was fine, and uh, and it's over now. And if you're of the age that you should do it, do it so you can be miserable for a couple days, like I was. And the thing I I realized afterwards is my digestive tract was as empty as it's ever been in my life. Yeah. And so I was so hungry, not only so hungry, but I felt like I could eat an unlimited amount of food and not get full for about a day and a half. It was awesome. That's how I felt when I was breastfeeding. Yes, that makes sense. (laughs) God, it was so fun. But I do remember thinking to myself, huh, when I'm not breastfeeding anymore, like, am I going to go back to normal? Like, how will I recalibrate? No, like, I I unfortunately went back to normal after, like, 36 hours. (sighs) So disappointing. I know, it was very disappointing. Okay, but anyway, uh, slice and eat tomatoes. Right, so I'm not, uh, right, right, right. right. That's, that's right. right. We're in the middle of a story before, before we, like, took a colon detour. So we got these, uh, you know, kind of beefsteak tomatoes, and I'm like, you know, I just make these into salsa, like a pico de gallo. And so I just, like, Googled pico de gallo recipe and basically learned, like, uh, you don't need a recipe. You chop up some tomatoes and green chilies and onion and, uh, and salt and lime juice and, and toss them together and let them sit in the fridge for a couple hours. And it was fantastic. And I was like, why did, like, I had made this before, but not in a, many years. I'm like, why did I stop making this? And I've been making it ever since. This one we've got today, I got all the stuff from Alvarez Farm with Ooh, like jalapenos. You went to the farmer's market and everything. Yeah, they didn't have serranos yet, which is my preferred chili for pico de gallo. Uh, so I got jalapenos. You never know with jalapenos how much heat they're going to have. These this had is, none. Yeah, it's just so yeah, mild. So This is like more mild than mild. I know, yeah. I put, I put in a bunch of jalapenos. So you get the chili flavor and color, but not much heat. But it, I like it anyway. Okay. So what is this stuff? What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. What are we chewing about? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Oh, I got a cilantro leaf stuck oh, in my roof of my mouth. Mm, I broke off my chip. Oh, boy. This is a problem with pico de gallo. Well, I mean, it's it's the chips we like, the Juanitas, like, they're not they're not a super sturdy chip. Mm. That's that's kind of not their, their style. Mm-hmm. So I mean you can mm, get they're really shattery chip. Yeah, which is which is gives them great like crunchy mouthfeel. Don't you love it when people say mouthfeel? I know you love it when people mm-hmm. say mouthfeel. Go on. Okay, so pico de gallo is a salsa that goes by many names, many aliases. In Mexico, it's uh, it's often called salsa cruda or salsa fresca, which means raw salsa or fresh salsa, or salsa mexicana or salsa bandera, which bandera is flag because it has the colors of the Mexican flag. And some of these terms can also refer to a pureed or finely minced salsa with the same ingredients, but it's typically pretty chunky. And the classic ingredients are ripe tomatoes, onions, serrano chile, lime juice, salt, cilantro, and uh, often cumin or oregano or other spices or herbs. I put a little garlic powder in because I like garlic powder. Ever since... We had like a sponsor years ago that sent us a bunch of garlic powder. And ever since then, I've been really like use garlic powder a lot more than I used to. Do you remember this? Maybe I gave you all the garlic powder because I just have a whole bunch of dillweed and turmeric. You're a dillweed. 
It literally says dillweed on the bottle. Who I know, does that? I know we talked about this before, but but isn't dillweed just like the most fun thing to say? It's, it's like it's, the best insult. It is a, an amazing insult. It's like, oh, I just got a spicy bit of jalapeno. Oh, finally. I knew it was in there somewhere. Mm. Um, the name Pico de, Ga- de Gallo means rooster's beak. And there's no, like, it's it's a term that goes way back, and there's no clear-cut etymology for it. <laughs> like, I read in many places on the internet that it's because people used to eat it by pinching pieces of it between their thumb and forefinger <laughs> like a bird's beak. Oh, they, they served it in preschool to right. allow you to work on your pincer, your pincer grip. The pincer grip comes up a lot on this show, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or that it resembles bird food. I do not think either of those uh, no. is correct. No. Um, it is most likely a sh- uh, reference to the shape of the Serrano chili, chili because uh, it's common around the world for, for like curved, thin chilies to, ch- chilies to be called uh, bird-related names. One other possibility, the, the verb picar in Spanish means to dice and to be spicy, so that's probably related. So chicken spice. Chicken Roost- spice. Rooster yes. spice is what this is called. Yeah. So, um, and in, uh, there are variations throughout Mexico, as you might imagine. Uh, the one that really grabbed me that I have not had but would love to try is uh, in uh, the Yucatan. Um, it's made uh, often made with bitter orange juice and, uh, and habanero chilies. chilies. Uh, next spilled milk corporate retreat. To to uh, yeah to the to the Yucatan absolutely uh-huh. let's do it let's find that crater where that uh, where the asteroid hit that killed the dinosaurs oh was that in the Yucatan yeah mm. I think I think that's the leading theory I mean we'll we can crack the case once okay. and for all okay let's let's talk about a little bit of Pico de Gallo history like. I didn't really dig up a whole lot, but uh, so salsa, including salsas made with tomatoes and chilies, go, goes back to Aztec civilization, but onions and garlic are a product of European contact. So the pico de gallo that we know today probably dates from like the 16th or 17th century. Okay. But there would have been similar salsas before that. But in the U.S., like this style of salsa was little known outside of Mexican-American communities and Texas, basically, in uh, before the 80s, which is very hard to believe. Right? Really? Yeah. So you mean our parents lived in an era that was like uh, maybe Pico de Gallo less? Yeah. No, I think I think like my parents in, you know, living in New York City in the 60s probably never ate salsa unless they went to a Mexican restaurant. It was not it was not something that uh, and I don't even know that if they, they would just like pick up at the grocery store. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's basically it. I mean, it's it's kind of it's one of these things that is like an obvious dish, I think. Like, yes. You know, like many, like, you know, spice blends around the world or like, you know, sauces or chunky things around the world. Chunky things around the world. That's our new <laughs> our new segment. <laughs> chunky, chunky things, things around, around the world. The world. <laughs> I was thinking that, that pico de gallo or, or really any type of salsa is kind of another example of, of the old uh, what what grows together goes together yeah. adage, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we've got tomatoes, we've got peppers, we've got cilantro. I, I guess onions grow with those things. But, I mean, especially peppers and tomatoes do mm-hmm. very well in the same climate. Yeah, and, I mean, honestly, you know, I, I love the onion chunks. I put red onion in mine. But if you made this without onions and garlic, it would still be completely delicious, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you threw in a ton of lime juice. Yes. Okay, so 
uh, hold on. You said that you used to make this in your food writing days. I thought you just started making this last year. Well, no, I, I used to make it sometimes many years ago. Oh. I think I think I made it from like a Cook's Illustrated recipe that in retrospect I don't think is very good. Mm. Okay. Um, part, partly because like I don't think you want to use the food processor for this. I think I think it kind of you know lacerates the vegetables in a in a way that is not ideal. Well, and I think especially if you're using onion, I mean. There is a, a, you know, there is a lot of documentation about the way that different different approaches to slicing or chopping onion like breaks more or fewer cell walls. I think that's it, which yeah. leads to more or less onion flavor, or different types of onion flavor. Yeah, because I mean, like a good pico de gallo, it like it retains like the integrity of the original ingredients yeah. and melds the flavor together. And yes. like you get too much melding and not enough integrity with the food processor. I think. Yes, I agree. I agree. Because and too much variation in chunk size. Yes, I mean unless you stop the food processor constantly and scrape down the sides. Yeah, but like who does that? Every time I do that, you know what happens? I I lacerate my uh, spatula. Oh, oh, my spatula is so messed up from yeah. my doing that. Um, um, can you tell I learned a new word? Lacerate. <laughs> is this like the third time you've used I it? I think so. Yeah. Um, okay. So when do you make pico de gallo as opposed to like a roasted tomato salsa? So. Roasted tomatillo salsa is absolutely my favorite salsa, and mm-hmm. I make it at least every two weeks. Wow! Yeah. Really? Yeah, because like we like talk, we, we'll have like tacos or taco salad or uh, or chilaquiles or uh, burritos for dinner, like at least once a week, and like I will try and make a homemade salsa to go with that. Wow! It's so simple to make. I know, but like I just served my family like tacos last night, and and totally used store-bought fresh salsa. You know what? You fucked up. Your family hates you now. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to tell you, but there, there's going to be an intervention when you get home today. I'm going to get home and the house is going to be empty. They will have both moved out. Even That's the, right. Even though June's like at summer camp today. Now she's, look at Alice. She's gonna... Alice is turning her back on you. <laughs> she's like, like, I can't believe when you pulled out that, that uh, tub of store-bought salsa, like, I thought I knew you. Yeah. Okay. No, Starbucks salsa is totally fine. I just uh, like I, I enjoy of, the process. Oh, I like don't peeling enjoy the, the tomatillos. Oh and, no, yeah. I don't want that process. Yeah. No. But also, but also, like it's fucking delicious. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. But so so when I got into roasted tomatillo salsa, I think that's when I kind of got out of the pico de gallo habit. But like they they serve different functions. You could serve oh, both yeah. of them. Like you know, if you go to a, a Mexican restaurant, you'll probably You're, get both types. Yes, and I would want them for different yeah. things, for that matter. Like like what? Like how would you use them differently? Well, so I think of a pico de gallo as being. I mean, for me, because it is a lot about the texture, I particularly like it with chips because chips mm-hmm. are one texture and then the pico de gallo has like lots of different textures within it and a chip mm-hmm. is a really good delivery vehicle for all these textures. I like how you're saying all these things like they're novel observations. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's ever thought about like, this before. You know what would be really good with this stuff? Chips. <laughs> but I don't think it ever occurs to me to do anything else with pico de gallo. Like I imagine it would be delicious, especially on a seafood taco. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or with seafood in general. Yeah, like a pico de gallo. I, I want it more like on something rather than in something. So mm-hmm. like like a uh, 
you know, I'm going to take home the rest of this unless you unless you take it. And uh, and I'm probably going to make myself a quesadilla for lunch and like throw a bunch of it on top of the quesadilla. Ooh, yeah. Like I don't want to put it in the quesadilla no. because like I don't want it to be cooked. Right. You know, I, I'm thinking that. So do you uh, do you remember a period of in time, maybe in the early 2000s or uh, late 90s, yeah. when serving fish like, with mango salsa was like all the rage. Like around when Kid A came out? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yes. We were, yes, I do. I, I don't really have good feelings about mango salsa. I think like if it's made really well, like with lots of acid, it yeah. can be good. Yeah. But anyway, I'm just thinking of that nice, like the the acidic coolness of either pico de gallo or you know the the old mango salsa and how nice that was with fish yeah if I could remember, I'm trying to remember which songs are on Kid A, so I can like make some some jokes. Um, but I don't remember the words to it, but the everything, everything in its right, right place. place. Yeah, um, like like the the mango salsa on top of the. Wait fish. a minute, that's or what, what is about. that on? I think it is. Wow! Is, if we if we get like a oh, Radiohead God. fact wrong, on the, we're going to be in huge trouble on the internet. Oh no. This episode is brought to you by Town Place Suites by Marriott. Whether you're traveling for work, need a place to stay while your home is being remodeled, or maybe you're just enjoying a relaxing week away, well, Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the comforts of home. Yeah, so they've got a full kitchen. Uh, they've got, you can borrow appliances. Like if you want a blender or a slow cooker while you're traveling, you can borrow it. No charge. <laughs> uh-huh. So like you could invite your friends or your coworkers over for like a post-meeting drink. You can bring your pet Totally allowed. Oh, I love this. Oh, I see. They even have special pet items you can use. And they have the built-in Alpha closet system. Nothing makes me happier (laughs) when I am traveling and I have, like, a place to put away my clothes. Mm -hmm. Molly has seen what happens when I don't have a place to put away my clothes. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, so, like, a whole closet system where I can really, like, unpack for reals. I am down. Well, this is made for you then, and this is Town Place Suites by Marriott. Town Place Suites by Marriott has all the amenities you need to feel at home during your stay. Find the comforts of home at Town Place Suites. Go there with Marriott Bonvoy. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So, Matthew, how do I make this stuff? I used to be married to someone who was who really enjoyed making salsa, but usually made like a roasted salsa. Yeah. I have never been bitten by the salsa bug. All right. Well, <laughs> and so tell me about like, are there important things to think about? Yeah. I mean, part of the reason I wanted to do this episode, by the way, this episode was suggested by host Matthew. Oh, okay. um, great. Is is like to like if you haven't made this in a while or ever, just like to convince you to do it because homemade really is going to be better than store bought, even though store bought can be very good. I, I think like starting with quality ingredients is important, but not super duper important because it will still be good if you use supermarket tomatoes. Really? Yeah. I mean, but but like, you know, if you can get good tomatoes this time of year, definitely get them and use them. Although by the time this episode is coming out, it's, it's not gonna be this October. Time of year. But I don't know, yeah. there are some places. Yeah. Maybe maybe like maybe you live in in British Columbia and you have BC hothouse tomatoes. Those are good year round. 
What are you talking about? <laughs> it's it's a brand of it's a brand of tomato and other produce in British Columbia that made a big impression on me many many years ago for some oh, reason. Oh, I love that! It's so cute. I looked over at you and you looked so satisfied. I like it said. Isn't it like BC Hothouse? It's like it's like when we dubbed uh, um, producer Abby's husband Hot Pots. It's just fun to say. Yeah, BC Hothouse. BC Hot Pots. Um, Okay, so so if you're going to make it, like, there's nothing more to it than, you know, dicing some tomatoes, onions, chilies, and, uh, you know, throwing in whichever uh, herbs and spices you like. I like cumin and garlic powder, plenty of salt, plenty of lime juice. But there are a couple, couple things that I would recommend keeping in mind. The first is to remove excess liquid. Okay. So I will usually salt the tomatoes and let them drain for a little bit. And do you scoop the innards out before you do that? No, because I like, I, I'm like superstitious about that being where the flavor is, even mm. though like it's going to drip out anyway. So I don't do that. And then let the flavors meld in the fridge. And then usually like after it's been in the fridge for a few hours, I will like partially drain it again. I just, I don't want my pico de gallo to be like, swimming in liquid. I love the care you're taking with Thank this. You. When did you make this one? The one that we're eating now? Uh, yesterday afternoon. Okay. Wow. All right. So it's like aged to perfection. Yeah, I think so. And what do you think is the ideal amount of like time before eating to make this That's stuff? a good question. I like it to be pretty cold. Okay. Um, so you want it to, you, you would do it so the day before? I think. Or the morning of? Yeah. I think maybe like four hours is ideal for me. Hmm. Does it even get very cold in that time? Something in the fridge can get cold in four hours. Okay. Not, well, fair enough. Not like totally ice cold, but yeah. I mean, is, is your fridge broken maybe? No. Like when you put stuff in your fridge and it's in there for hours, is it still kind of lukewarm? No. no. Does, when, you, when you reach for the milk, has it become yogurt? Uh, no. Okay. Oh, my God. There was a week, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, where literally o- over the course of an entire day, my spouse left an entire gallon of milk out on the counter oh three different times. Oh. And every time I would be like, hey, babe, did you... Did, are you doing something with the milk? And they'd be like, oh, God, not again. It just never stopped. It was like the day of, of milk on the counter. Wow. But, but then it went, good things story, went back right? to normal. But then things went back to okay. normal. No, I think that, like there's usually probably like some dumb thing that I'm, do, that I'm doing repeatedly that I'll quickly move on to some other dumb thing. Yeah. I have another question. Is your refrigerator running? <laughs> <laughs> Better go catch it. Oh, that was a good one. I love. I'm, I love that you brought that I mean, back. I have a follow-up question: Do you have Prince Albert in a can? <laughs> Isn't it weird how like do kids these days still know that that like an old joke is? Do you have Prince Albert in a can? Because like I don't think I knew what that meant. Who until knows I was, like, who thir- Prince Albert is anymore? I don't know who Prince Albert is. I know it's related to like pipe tobacco or something. Yeah, I think there's a brand of tobacco called Prince Albert. Right, but like it's it's totally weird that like. Like nobody, nobody buys a can of pipe tobacco. I mean, I know somebody does, but almost nobody. And nobody even makes that kind of joke anymore. And yet everybody knows it, right? Yeah. Uh, I've got cilantro in my throat. All right. So, uh, but you know, our listeners, they, they all, they probably know more than we do about this stuff at this point. So probably. do we have anything else to add? Uh, I mean, I feel like I've learned some things. Yeah, no, I just just like like go go make some fresh salsa. It's it's fun. It's fun to make. Like it's it's like a real meditative cooking process. I think because you're chopping everything to approximately the same size. The colors are beautiful. It tastes great. You do have to be patient because it's not going to be at its best when you first make it. But like it smells good when you're making it, and you get mm. hungry, and then you yeah. eat ice cream instead. Fantastic. Love this. Should we move on to segments? Let's do. Our first segment is Animal Crossing. June hasn't played Animal Crossing in a while, and um, there you go. Okay, I keep meaning to. I keep getting told 
that uh, that I would really enjoy this video game Hades. That I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with, but I haven't gotten like around. as in the the god of the underworld. As in the god of the underworld, it's like a Greek Greek gods themed dungeon crawling video game. I think. Ooh, cool. And uh, so maybe maybe I will give that game a try, and we can have a segment on what's going on in in the underworld. <laughs> I would love that. Okay. Okay. Let me make a note. I'm just going to write the word Hades on this uh, on no. this agenda. What's going on in the underworld? Let's see. Hold on. What what's the segment? Um I mean, I think what's w, going on W W get to. We'll get to. We'll get to it. What's going on? Okay. Here's what I, I I'm going to write on my agenda here. What's going on in the underworld? And then later I'm going to tr- I'm going to pick up this piece of paper and I'm be like, "What did I mean?" Right? Exactly. And okay. I'm going to text you and I'm going to say, "What is what's going on in the underworld mean?" And you're going to be like, "I don't know." <laughs> So, Matthew, I'm going to read the spilled mail today Please because do. it's about cobblers. And, and, that- I, and I just made a cobbler yesterday. Okay. All right, here we go. So, two listeners got in touch to tell us about Texas cobblers. Yeah, I think this is something we mentioned on the cobbler episode that the word cobbler has has a different meaning in tech in parts of Texas sometimes. We did? Well, I think we must have because at least two people wrote in to, to oh. give us information about Texas cobblers. Okay, so first off, listener Janet. Hi Molly and Matthew. You are so fun. <laughs> Thank you, listener Janet. Thank you for your entertaining, somewhat informative <laughs> <laughs> and witty podcast. It's everything I love. Oh, thanks. It's it's everything we love too. Yeah. Especially being somewhat Somewhat informative. informative, yes. I listened to the cobbler episode specifically because I wanted to hear what you had to say about what Texans call cobbler. I'm from a town north of Austin. My whole life we have referred to deep dish pies in a rectangular pan as cobblers. When Texans attend a barbecue in which a fruit-based dessert with a biscuit topping is served, most of us have a bless their hearts moment when we realize the host considers this a cobbler. Oh, no. She would have a bless her heart moment seeing my cobbler. Yep. (laughs) Okay. Alas, I literally awoke in the middle of the night years ago and realized with deep conviction that we, as in millions of people, are simply using the wrong terminology. Much like the horse made of metal, which Matthew referred to. What was that? No idea. Okay, cool. We love our deep dish fruit pies. So, okay, they're making a deep dish fruit pie and they're calling it a cobbler? Yeah, but I mean... I don't think I don't think it's wrong for for things to have like different overlapping regional names. That's well, so it's just it, the spice of life. So it's under a pie crust. Yeah, it's under a pie crust. Okay. Oh, I see. Listener Amy has written in about this. Yeah. As well. Hi, spilled milk. Just listen to your cobbler episode, and I can attest to the double crusted cobbler that is common in the South. It's the only type of cobbler my mom and grandmother made. Our family in Texas makes it with a sort of pie crust that has a small amount of baking powder added for tenderness, but it's not biscuit-esque. The crust gets rolled out as you would with pie dough, then is cut into one-inch-ish wide strips. A th- I love the specificity here. Yeah. A third of the fruit mixture goes on the bottom, then a layer of dough strips, no lattice work, just one direction with about an inch between strips. Then another third of the fruit, another layer of dough strips, opposite direction this time. Sounds like we're basket making. It does. Last third of the fruit, then a lattice on top. The top gets dotted with butter and sprinkled with sugar. This is all in a Dutch oven or deep-ish rectangular baking dish. Love the show. Amy from Dallas, Texas. The the dough strips in the middle. Do they get mushy? Like what? What the heck happens to those? Maybe they get kind of slumpy. Hmm. Because, I mean, like like when you make a slump, that's like dough. You know, 
listener Amy, well, frankly, and listener Janet, would you two be willing to write in again and send us some recipes that we could try? Because I I think we need to experience this firsthand. And and we are way up here in the Northwest, pretty far from Texas. And and we're going to have to we're going to have to cobble cobble ourselves. We have to cobble ourselves. Yeah. No, I I would like to try a Texas style cobbler. And yeah, I I have no problem with the terminology. Like, you know, there's two kinds of oregano that are totally unrelated, but are both called oregano and people deal with it. Everyone can cobble themselves. There's Everyone enough, can cobble there's themselves. There's enough cobbler to go around. I hope that's true. All right. You know, it's time for Now But Wow. All right. It's my week to do Now But Wow. And I can't believe I haven't recommended this before. I'm, I'm recommending a podcast called The Slowdown, which is unfortunately seems to be possibly on permanent hiatus okay. as of October 2020. But they have... It slowed s- down too far. <laughs> it really, it came to a grinding halt. Uh, no, so The Slowdown is a podcast that was hosted by Tracy K. Smith, who's an American poet. And she was the 22nd Poet Laureate of the U.S. Okay. From 2017 to 2019. Anyway, she won the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, Tracy K. Smith knows what is what. And what she does on The Slowdown is makes a short daily show in which she kind of talks about poetry or about like life in general and then reads a poem that has something to do with sort of the vibe of what she's been talking about. Is it is it a poem that she wrote or that someone else no, wrote or could be some it's of somebody either? else's poem, uh, poems that she has selected. Okay. And it, it runs a broad range um, contemporary poets. I've encountered some poets that, you know, I learned about as like modern poets when I was like 16, people who were writing in the 50s or whatever. There's a whole broad span. I don't know if like John Dunn and Ben Johnson are there. but Those are like really old poets. Really old poets. Okay. But anyway, um, The Slowdown by Tracy K. Smith uh, has a deep reservoir of uh, back episodes, do we call it? Yeah. Or old episodes? Hundreds old even. Old poet episodes. Old poet episodes. And you should go check it out. It is, uh, Tracy K. Smith has a wonderful, melodious voice. Uh, she chooses spectacular poems and it, it feels like exactly what the title promises like it's it's sort of calming but not like pablum um, it's it's a really beautiful artful poetry podcast let me ask a question if if you were someone hypothetically who doesn't know anything about poetry and may even be a little scared of poetry would this be a good place to get your feet wet i think that you might find the opening music a little <laughs> a little heavy-handed i was just thinking you know i was listening to some old episodes on the way over here today and i was thinking you know matthew's gonna hate the the intro music but i mean that's this. what the, the like 30 second skip button is for sure i think that this is a fantastic way to bring some poetry into your life, not only because Tracy K. Smith really sets it up beautifully, but also you're going to get introduced to a wide range of voices. Okay. So um, I think you should check it out. It's also a very short investment of your time. So make it a part of your daily life, even though who knows when the podcast will be making new episodes. There's plenty to enjoy. Okay. That sounds great. The Slowdown. The Slowdown, hosted by Tracy K. Smith. Our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever 
wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can uh, catch up with other people who listen to the show on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Mm-hmm. Anything yep. else to tell the people? Uh, this is this is airing uh, this, this uh, oh no, well, there'll be one more episode before Halloween so we can we can give our usual annual <laughs> Halloween message next year. <laughs> next week? Yeah. <laughs> also next year. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned next next week for our, our uh, rousing uh, Halloween speech. I can't wait to hear what it's going to be. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, well, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. The show that uh, goes great with chips, because if you crunch them loudly enough, you won't have to listen to us. I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amsterberg. <laughs> oh, God. Your, your Pico looks really... Uh, I was trying to think of something that rhymes with Pico. Um, Squeako. Oh, I smell the onions. Smell the cilantro. Should I eat some? Should I Squeako your Pico? Go for it. (laughs) Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. (laughs) 